Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Randomly Generated History Club, where three non-historians pick a year at random and try to learn things about it. I'm Ant, and I'm here with my two friends, Will and Anna. Salut. Ooh, hello. You should have chosen another language. I know. Salve. <laughs> so, this week we're talking about the year 61. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I'd like each of us to give our three-word preview, please. Uh, Anna. Kiss. Kick. Kill. Ooh. <laughs> good, 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 good. I've just activated my secret army. <laughs> <laughs> um, Will. Romani ite domum. Oh, God. Here he goes again. Uh, here we go. I don't know what that means. I can't even say it. <laughs> and mine is soggy Welsh warfare. Nice. Um, very good. Also, so I think maybe some of us are going to talk about Rome. Yeah. I was just in Rome. Oh. Can I tell you guys? Hot take? It's great. Really? Hidden gem. <laughs> yeah, it's so hidden. Yeah. People should go. Civilization. And this is in this is in the Mediterranean yeah, region. Yeah, yeah, it's um it's in the country that looks like a boot. Mm. And it's just somewhere in the middle of like Bootland. A bootland. Yeah, yeah. Boot, bootlandia. Yeah. What was yeah. your what was your favorite thing about Italy? And what was the least favorite thing about Italy? <laughs> My favorite thing about Italy was knowing that we were doing the year 61 on our history podcast. Did you speak to anyone that was alive then? Any any primary? Uh... So many people. I paid extra for a tour to talk to the ancients. Um, it was worth it. I am talking about Rome proper and about the emperor Nero, but more importantly about his wife and his mother and some of the hot goss around his life. Um, because Nero is, of course, one of the most fascinating Roman emperors, and we haven't really talked about him at all yet, I don't think. So I'm going to give you the briefest possible summary, uh, because there are so many podcasts that can do an in-depth <laughs> Nero episode 
better than we can. But don't listen to them. You should only listen to this show. Uh, Nero is the fifth Roman emperor ruling from the year 54 until 68. He was the adopted son of Claudius. uh, And it's important to know that he was adopted. Um, But he was descended from Augustus through his mother. And that was also politically very important. And he has a reputation for being totally debauched and tyrannical and and possibly mad. Uh, Some Christians believed that he was the Antichrist. So that's a thing. (laughs) Um, On the other hand, the common people seem to love him for a while. So there's that. Um, But today I want to talk about his personal life because here on the Randomly Generated History Club, we love hot goss. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The hottest, the hottest, the spiciest goss. This is like combined with Love Island. Oh, yeah. And and, um, combined with like Kill Bill because it's incredibly violent. (laughs) Spoiler alert. So when he was 16, Nero married his stepsister, Claudia Octavia. And a few years after that, his stepfather, the Emperor Claudius, dies. Of course, lots of historians claim that Claudius was poisoned by Claudius's wife, Nero's mother, Agrippina. Claudius had a natural son whose name was Britannicus. Good name. But for some reason, he had favored Nero and kind of adopted Nero as his heir Uh, But there were some indications that maybe he was going back on that and he was going to start favoring Britannicus over Nero. And so Agrippina wanted to make sure that that didn't happen. And she um, wanted to make sure that Nero, her son, was was in charge. So she poisoned Claudius. (laughs) And she had also poisoned several of her other enemies. So this is a a woman who knows her way around a toxic mushroom. Mm. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Which is what I assume it will say on my gravestone. (laughs) Um, but regardless of whether or not she did it she definitely maneuvered to smooth the passage for Nero's ascent to the throne she installed loyal friends in the Praetorian Guard she kind of replaced some of his tutors with more favorable people so we've got ourselves a hungry mother who is trying to rule Rome through her son and will stop at nothing to maintain her grip on power we love this kind of person, yeah. except also she's a murderer. So I won't well, be. Well, I mean, you know, who isn't <laughs> who in isn't? history? Who know? hasn't poisoned their husband? They're going to near- catch you, Anna, by the way. They will. They will catch up with you. <laughs> they won't. It's untraceable. <laughs> I think when people look back, they'll, there'll be so many dots they'll feel they should have joined. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> she's, she's dropping so many hints. I know, but they won't, they won't connect them because that would mean listening to all of the episodes of the podcast. <laughs> which no one has done. Which no one has done. Yeah. <laughs> so as Nero gets older, he starts to move against Agrippina. He sort of sees that she's maneuvering him and he doesn't like it. So he removes her loyalists. He becomes more emancipated from her. He eventually banishes her from the palace. And then in the year 59, he kills her. <laughs> oh, <no>. Oops. <laughs> and uh, historians don't all agree why he did it or how he did it. Um, and there's really, really interesting stories about the methods that he may or may not have used, including inventing a collapsible boat. But we won't get into that. Collapsible boat? <laughs> yeah. Is that just a bad boat? <laughs> yeah, well, like an intentionally bad boat that was so designed to sink. Every boat that sink. sinks is a, yeah. is, is a collapsible boat. Exactly. Um, but in order to explore what may or may not have happened and why he may or may not have killed her, we need to meet the other person in today's story. Her name is Papea Sabina. 
She was born in Pompeii in the year 30. One quick side note is that excavations near Pompeii turned up some legal documents that described her as the owner of a tile work business in the area. We love a female entrepreneur. (laughs) (laughs) We love a tile layer. Um, And she was allegedly very, very beautiful, which helps when you're going to get up to what she gets up to. Uh, Lots of tiling? Lots of tiling. Only only hot tilers will work for you. A lot of tile. (laughs) (laughs) God. Her first marriage, unrelatedly, is to a man with the excellent name Rufrius Crispinus. Oh, yes. Oh, the names. Rufy. You don't see Rufius. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not only did she lay tile, she laid roof. Okay, this is a serious topic. This is Rome, the cradle of civilization. Oh, sorry. Other than North Africa was the cradle of civilization. (laughs) So she's married to Rufrius Crispinus, who had been the leader of the Praetorian Guard until he was removed by Agrippina Mm. and then executed by Nero. Ah. Interesting. Papea and Rufrius had a son who was also named Rufrius Crispinus because why would you not? Mm-hmm. So remember that little fellow. Papea's second marriage was to Otho, who was besties with Nero. And lots of people suspect that she did this explicitly to get close to Nero, and it worked. She became Nero's mistress, later divorced Otho, and turned all her focus onto Nero. But the joke's on her because Otho would later become emperor as well. Oh, so she should she have just stuck it out. All the wrong horses. <laughs> yeah, she here. really is. She's bad at horsebacking. Yeah. Um, so that one I didn't even intend to be. I'm just in. I'm in her mind. All right. So Papea is Nero's mistress, but Nero is still married to Claudia Octavia. This is where things get spicy. Agrippina is murdered in 59. And a prevailing theory for why Nero did it is because Papea told him to. She needed to get Agrippina out of the way. However, Papea and Nero didn't get married until 62. So it's sort of like you're going to kill his mother or orchestrate the killing of his mother. And then like three more years pass before you can see through. I I don't know. Some historians don't buy it. They think there's this whole narrative around Papea that she's controlling. And she is. But was she involved in Agrippina's death? Who knows? If she was a man, she'd just be called like ambitious. Exactly. She'd just be called like a man. Um, But Papea definitely did scheme to get Claudia Octavia out of the picture. So Octavia and Nero had never had any children. So when Papea gets pregnant in the year 62, which is just one year after the year in question, uh, Nero uses this as an excuse to divorce Octavia, claiming Octavia is barren. And 12 days later, he marries Papea. The people who had been such a fan of him, his, are not in favor of this. They're very much Team Octavia. And they think that what he's done is is horrible. So instead of sort of like apologizing to them, he concocts this elaborate story about how Octavia was actually cheating on him and she's an adulteress and this elaborate, elaborate ruse that the people totally don't buy. They see what's happening. He got his mistress pregnant and he wants to divorce his wife. But anyway, Nero banishes Octavia. Uh, he exiles her to an island and then ultimately has her executed and has her head cut off and brought back to Papea. Wow. So just to clarify, so he sends her to an island. Yeah. He then has her executed on the island. Yeah. And then he has someone bring the head back. Yes. 
It's very inefficient. So logistically challenging. So logistically challenging. <laughs> Could have just done it in the house. Yeah, yeah. And then send the less bodies must, to the island. Less fuss, less yeah. fuss. Yeah. Listen, he's not great at decisions. <laughs> yeah. He's made some real bad ones. I can tell that. Um, so Nero and Papea, having killed everyone who ever even looked at them funny, enjoy a few years of wedded bliss. That's Aww. nice. Yeah. But just when you think it's going to be a happy ending, Papea dies. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Nero did it. Yeah, he must have done. And you're probably right. <laughs> Maybe. The popular story, which with the big caveat that this was written by several vehemently anti-Nero historians, is that in the summer of 65, Papea is pregnant again. And she and Nero have this massive row because he's spending too much time at the racetrack, which I mm -hmm. love. <laughs> so in a fit of rage, he kicks her in the belly killing her and the unborn child, God. which is awful and grim, which is, and, and also seems like if they were happy together, that's one hell of a fit of rage. So other historians say that it's much more likely that she just died in childbirth, yeah. especially because uh, a few, I don't know, centuries later, they unearthed a fragment of papyrus that had a Greek poem relating a very sweet and loving speech Papea made to Nero before she ascends to heaven on a chariot driven by Aphrodite, oh, which wow. is a much nicer. Yeah. Did he put money on that chariot at the races as well? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, he, you know, he, he's not the most. He put yeah. all his ducats on that chariot. <laughs> is that the currency? Anyway, just to close this out, what's definitely true is that Nero goes into deep, deep mourning after Papea's death. He gives her a state funeral. He promotes her to, to godhood. He embalms her and supposedly supposedly burned a year's worth of incense at her funeral. Sorry, a, a year? year's worth of the incense production of Arabia. Oh, right. Okay. Because so like, like, a year's worth of incense for me is like one stick. It's like one, <laughs> maybe two sticks. Yeah, totally. Yeah, my bad. A year's worth of the entire production of incense of Arabia. Which to me is too much. Yeah, I'm. That's yeah. a smell that's gonna. I'm not an incense man. Stick in your nostrils. I'm not a fan of incense. Yeah, in I general. agree. Yeah, I agree. I'm more well, of a mer kind of guy. You know. <laughs> and Will um, goes for the gold. I like I like a good honest incense. Yeah. Like one that's being like a straight talking, really frank incense. That was very good. That was very good. Um, and two last little facts here. Because I want people to know all the information about Nero until we talk about him at a later point. At some time after Papea's death, he takes her son, Rufrius, remember him, mm -hmm. on a fishing trip. Yep. Which is nice, little stepdad, stepson. But Kills him. Drowns him. Oh, <laughs> yeah. God. oh God. Which seems at odds with the deep mourning over his mother, but yeah. I don't know. Why do people keep falling for it? I don't know. <laughs> like, stay away from this guy. Yeah. And then in uh, just one final and totally bizarre and kind of touching and kind of strange postscript, in the year 67, Nero orders a young freedman named Sporus Morgan. to be <laughs> young, a young freedman a young named Freeman. Morgan to be castrated. And then he marries him because apparently this young man bore an uncanny resemblance huh. to Papea. Right. Sorry, what? Oh, yeah. Okay. Marries except him, for the balls. Except for the castration. <laughs> they had to go. Yeah. Well, yeah. Wow. Calls her. Calls him, Sporus, this this young man, calls him Papea, marries him. <laughs> oh, my wow. God. Yeah. So, I mean, that is like, we've just scratched the surface of Nero yeah, you haven't, and Agrippina and everything. You it's haven't once talked stuff. about his fiddle playing. 
I know. I had to skip all of his fiddle playing. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that is the story about Rome. And um, you can trust me because I've been there. <laughs> Today, I am going to be talking about a piece of history I never knew even existed. <laughs> Right, I didn't know a single thing about this. Doesn't really narrow it down. It narrows it down completely to the years minus 1,000 to plus 2,000. <laughs> but I'm going to be talking about a group of wise people. They're much maligned and misunderstood and misrepresented even to this day. Um, uh, they are, of course, the uh, my new favourite group, the Welsh. Okay, there's, there's such a build-up and I was getting so nervous. Okay, the Welsh. Specifically, though, the Celtic Welsh... Ooh. And specifically, specifically, the Celtic Welsh Druids. Ooh. Nice. So, these are the Druids that were ensconced and lived in Anglesey, mm. or in, uh, it was called Mona at the time. Oh, yes. Uh, which is currently still the Welsh word for it is Mon. And that comes from a Welsh word for Modron, we think. Which, Modron, M-O-D-R-O-N, which is an ancient Welsh goddess. Uh, this mother, you know, matriarch goddess okay. and one of the Celtics worship. And it's, you know, this modern character is a, the source of probably many other sort of other myths of matron uh, goddesses, including Morgan Le Fay oh. uh, of Arthurian legend. Yeah. So they stole it from the Welsh, uh, as yeah. the English stole so many things from the Welsh. Yeah. So that's another story. Um, but anyway, Druids, who were they? What were they? What do they look like? Where do they come from? Uh no one really knows. <laughs> Actually, is, is kind that of true? Summary? Yeah, it's pretty true. I feel like they're such a thing. Yeah, wow. they are such a thing. But there's been so much misremembering, and mistelling. Ah. But what we do know, <laughs> not, and that's not going to be helped by today's. Oh, podcast. today we're going to misremember together, everybody. <laughs> um, but they were a member of a sort of high-ranking class in ancient Celtic cultures. They were religious leaders. Um, they were legal authorities. Mm. They were sort of these, uh, these conduits to the gods. They were, you know, lore keepers and medical professionals and, you know, political advisors and stuff. So they had this kind of... God, multi jacks of all trades. Yeah, multifaceted roles. Um, we, we kind of think. And the reason why we think is there's actually no written account of what they did or what they studied or what hmm. they knew. Um, it's all from second-hand accounts of other mm. civilizations coming in, into contact with them. Um, allegedly, writing was explicitly banned in their religion. So they had Celtic ruins and stuff for writing other things, but they could not talk about Druids or their beliefs, etc. It was explicitly banned. That's so funny that they were the lore keepers and the legal scholars and they both of those things you would imagine well, you required just get away with writing. whatever you want. Yeah, you can just say what you want, right? You just make it up on the spot. I don't know. Last week that guy said, well, it's not written down. So, so uh, and like, uh, you know, all this this myth that we're going to go into about like, you know, they're communing and they're, they're, they're sacrificing and they're you know, taking all these, you know, psychedelic substances and stuff. Mm. Um, so, you know, a society of drugged up mystics that didn't read or write, which is, a, <laughs> you know, that's my niche. <laughs> I feel I would be a great mystic. <laughs> I would fit right that's in. That's a world that you want to live in today, I think. I think so too. I feel like you would you would confidently pronounce all sorts of stuff. I would be able to pronounce so. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so they're all Celts of the higher up types, and they had various lores and stories and sort of ceremonies. And it was said in some accounts that it took up to twenty years to study to complete um, your druid apprenticeship and be an official druid. Mm. And they're held in extremely high regard. You know, it's said that they were able to negotiate between warring factions and just stand between two armies and decree that this war is finished or 
I've tried that. More often, That's, you know. It did not go well for me. <laughs> more often, I think they just spur them on to kill yeah. the other guys, really. Um, uh, but there's not a single verse or a single line of any Celtic, Druidic, ceremony, lore, tale, story has survived to this day. That is crazy. It is crazy. Um, the, even in translations, there's nothing. And there's nothing verifiable. There's a bunch of stuff came up later. Is that, that The Druidic myth was reinvented and popularized in the 1800s as well. But there's there's, there's loads of misconception, uh, misconceptions. But it was probable that they were very secretive about their worship and, their, and, and that kind of stuff. And that sort of makes sense that they don't survive. Um, anyway, this fascinating group um, were on the island of Mon in Wales, Anglesey. And Rome had been sweeping through uh, Britannia and just kind of keeping the plucky Brits down and making sure they weren't going to stray too far from the light of civilization that is the epicenter of Rome. Which... Mm-hmm. Nero, the like <clears throat> pinnacle of civilization. Oh yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, and the Celts and the Druids in particular were just haranguing and harassing these these Romans in Britain where they would launch sort of these uh, campaigns against them and jump jump them on uh, on the various logistical runs and stuff and sort of just harass them and steal their stuff. And so... So annoying. Yeah, it is so Cattle annoying. rustlers. <laughs> they were based on that. And uh, enough was enough. And in 61 AD, um, the sort of governor or one of the provisional governors in, 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 in Britain, Suetonius Polonius, uh, decided enough was enough and decided to teach the Druids, this pesky Druids, a bit of a lesson. Mm. And so... Well, uh, he's going to have to apprentice for 20 years before he can teach them a lesson. <laughs> yeah, true, they can teach him a few things. Um, the problem was they were sort of in Anglesey, which was, it's, it's effectively an island. I, I mean, it, it, it is an island. Um, <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, how can something be effectively an island? So uh, it, it did mean then that because it's an island, the Romans had to fight the most ancient and unforgiving enemy of all, um, which is... The, the tides? The tides. Really? Yes. Yeah, 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 the oh. tides. Uh, the tides were a problem. Um, all these troops, you know, they're all basically land-born. Very few of them were, uh, you know... Fish. Fish. Very few fish. Very few of them were fish-born. Okay, exactly. <laughs> um, and so they had to get across the water and they had to time the tides. And how do you get, like, a mass troop troops across the tides um, in time so that the last people going across weren't going to get swept away. I mean, the the concept of a boat. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Was foreign. <laughs> no, no, they did have boats and, as okay. we know, collapsible boats now. <laughs> but what they did is also invent another type of boat, a flat bottom boat. Oh. Which is... 
you know, never features in rap songs. Flat, bo- yeah, flat bottom <laughs> boat is my favorite Queen song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so these infantry got to go in these beautifully handcrafted, you know, Italian wood uh, flat bottom boats, whereas the cavalry had to uh, just swim with their horses. Oh, sorry. This, this is the Romans, the Romans who are having problems yeah, the Romans, with the tides. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. The yeah. the Druids aren't leaving. Anglesey no, they control the tides, go. so that's, well, they're, yeah. they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's just very cadenced. Um, so the crafty druids controlling the tides on one side, the Romans <laughs> going across, swimming with their horse. Like, the, you know, cavalry are the posh ones, right? They're like the, you know, the elite troops. Yeah. And then suddenly they're having to like swim. Horses are incredible swimmers. Yeah, but like I'm this assuming... Is, that's true. You know, the posh people in the back of them, <laughs> less so. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could feel your skepticism from mm. here. How many times have you swam across the Welsh uh, rivers? I can't comment on that <laughs> under advice of counsel. Anyway, so they, uh, they get across, but they are absolutely terrified by what they see. And this is really interesting because uh, arrayed in front of them are this raving mass horde of Celts, of Druids, of women, oh. of children. And and they were shocked to see these well, the so-called crazed women with their black hair and just screaming and raving up and down the lines of these, these, these Celts. And the Druids were casting spells at them, so their hands outstretched to the heavens and casting incantations and stuff. Is this true or are you this romanticizing This is true. Okay. This is according to, so this is actually according to the record. Um, oh, cool. So yeah, yeah. So, so. That would be pretty terrifying. So just to clarify, your source here is, quote, the record. Uh, n- uh, n- no. Well, Will, it's the record. It's fine. <laughs> Sorry, I, yeah, I, I won't quibble any further. <laughs> no, no, no. This was written down by a chap who is very, very famous. Uh-huh. Uh, Recordius. No, <laughs> Recordius Maximus. No, Tacitus. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, Tacitus. he's legit. He's... Tacitus, Recordius Maximus and Tacitus <laughs> have foretold this. Oh, good objective source. Good objective source. To, to, back to the... So Tacitus is obviously not objective. But it is interesting because this is the only record that we have where it was said that the Roman massed army was actually terrified of what they saw. Hmm. So oftentimes they're just depicted as this, you know, this mechanical almost just, yeah. you know, conquesting entity yeah. whereas this is very human that they're actually terrified and they've they've encountered hordes of you know sort of these barbaric tribes or whatever you want to call them you know these, these mass militia yeah they've never seen women before but they actually that was part of it yeah and so like the generals and the officers had to spur them on and say hey, like come on lads i mean yeah come on uh they were spurred on um pretty well and uh what ensued was uh, kind of just mass carnage oh. the spells didn't work um, and they just swept through these hordes and just just like nearly eradicated them. Um, they, and then they went on and they went throughout the the island, and they just destroyed all the shrines because they were just a bit superstitious. What if there's this is a source? Yeah. And they just killed anyone they could find. Oh. Like anyone they could find, they were like, yep, yeah, they're they're dying, they're dead. Really nasty stuff. Um, and it's kind of like one of the one of the last knell death knells for for sort of. Celtic culture and and Druids especially, um, there was a sort of a re-romanticizing of Druids and that sort of Celtic culture that came up in the 1800s and a little bit before that as well, yeah. where they sort of, where to this day we still have this pollution of what, what, what this is and like even in your head, if you're thinking in your brain, what is a Celt, what is a Druid, you have these images that yeah. are probably not based on actual objective fact yeah. because of the retelling of this sort of history in this time of like this connection and these stories, which we have no clue about. They they could have just sat around these shrines and just talked about like tax or something. You know, <laughs> which, like, if like, they were the legal administrators, they yeah, probably they, did. Like t- 20 years of just tax studies. And, um, I mean, who would, have, who would have thought that 
an over-reliance on oral history <laughs> and, and, and a defence policy centred around the casting of spells could be defeated by this rigorous military organisation. <laughs> it is... It, I can't Shocking believe it. to me. Um, you are the worst. But I have done my, um, you know, 23andMe DNA uh-huh. studies and it actually, actually goes to show that I'm 96% druid. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, so right. if you cross me... <laughs> oh, because, of course, you are the last of the druids. I, I don't know them the last of them. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm certainly the best of them. Oh, the last druid. The last you're, druid. You're carrying their lore with you. Mm. And I'm so sorry to all the druids who have come before now, if, that this is the vessel. If I murder you, do I absorb your power? No, that's not how it works. Well, no, you're no, no. the last Roman, right? <laughs> so this is... That's right. This is a battle. And I'm a woman. <laughs> Right, one of us is getting castrated and living as a woman. <laughs> Not it. Not me. Anyway, so Anglesey raised to the ground, druids all but wiped out, but they couldn't build a fort there because they hills. were called... The tides. No, no. <laughs> it worked once. The hills, the tides, they were fine. They were very used to building on hills and tides. Um, no, because uh, there was a little, little, little young upstart in London called him back, and maybe I'll draw... Draw, draw a line there and hand Ooh. it over to I think I think Will you've got something to say about Aha, this. Ah, yes. Oh, what a what a transition. Lucky upstart. Did we just segue effectively? <laughs> No, we'll change everything you were going to talk about and talk about China instead. Uh, yeah, so that is extraordinarily useful context for my story. <laughs> wow. You're welcome. We're becoming worryingly competent. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, a broken clock, etc. Exactly, yeah, that is basically what's happening here. So my three words were Romani ite domum, which uh-huh. is a quote from Monty Python, Romans Go Home. Um <laughs> It, it, oh, is, is it is the, the corrected the Latin the that John Cleese... Painting on yes. the walls. Oh, that yes. is the funniest. So After John Cleese has corrected the Latin, yeah. um, it, this, is the, this is what it should be. And um, Romans Go Home was very much the sentiment at the time amongst those people living in Britannia. Well, the Romans didn't want to go home because there was a greater than average chance they'd be murdered by Nero. (laughs) (laughs) That's understandable. Um, So this week I'm going to talk about Boudicca, the the ancient British leader, and specifically about the revolt that she led in the year 61 against the Roman occupiers who dared to set foot on British soil and bring us trade and improved infrastructure. (laughs) (laughs) So let's set the scene a bit. So in the year 60, uh, the year before, it's now been 17 years since the Romans landed in Britain and they'd stuck around ever since. And that was the second invasion attempt. So the previous Roman rulers of Gaul had attempted small-scale invasions uh, to try and expand their territory into a united Norman Republic, notably Julius Caesar in 55 BCE. Uh, had a little attempt and then got kicked out very, very quickly. Uh, so this is more than 100 years later. And um, the, the most recent attempt um, has been successful and the invasion has stuck and the Romans are clearly not going anywhere. And one of the first large tribes that they encountered, the Romans encountered, were the Iceni of East Anglia. And the Iceni had basically seen the writing on the wall and knew that they couldn't resist Rome's power. They had Iceni the writing on the wall? <laughs> nice. <Yeah. laughs> and they struck a deal and the king of the Iceni was this guy called Prasitagus. And he had accepted that they needed to become a Roman client state mm. uh, to otherwise there'd just be trouble. And then, like so much 
in history, everything starts to go wrong when the guy dies and there's some dodgy succession planning mm. that is not, as we shall we say, to everyone's liking. So there had been this deal to pass the lands to Rome after this guy's death, but instead he passed them both to Rome and to his daughters. You can't, oh. you, you can't do that. You, you can't know what he that. needed? Any druid worth his salt will know. He needed a legal <laughs> scholar. And and the hope was that this would be a compromise that the Romans could deal with and like would secure the security of his family. But uh, nope. So unfortunately, back on the throne in Rome, we know who was there now. It was, of course... Nero. A guy called Nero. And Nero and his administrators in Britannia were not super into compromise. Mm. Um, and so, <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't gel with everything I just said about him. <laughs> so, so they dispatched, the Romans dispatched a force to the Iceni capital uh, of Ventia in modern Norfolk. And to prove their point in like classic Nero-Roman fashion, they seized all the land and property that belonged to that tribe. And then to make clear who was in charge, they publicly beat the widow of Prasategus. And can anyone guess the name of the widow? of the deceased king mm, Jane Catherine Zeta-Jones the answer is Boudicca oh, oh Boudicca played by Catherine Zeta-Jones right. played by she Catherine Zeta-Jones she's Welsh she's Welsh yeah. she's the wrong tribe uh, <laughs> we need someone from Norfolk uh, oh, and then, I can't think of anyone. Uh, and then, and then, appallingly, um, they uh, the Roman soldiers then uh, made a point of, of raping the daughters Aww. who the lands had been yeah. left with. So this is like both obviously absolutely appalling, but like, but they were they were the people who were going to inherit the whole of that tribe. Yeah, and yeah. so you know, obviously just the most appalling. Um, uh, response to that and they effectively then dismantled the whole of the Iceni ruling class but, um, and uh, a quote from Boudicca at the time after the Romans left is as follows she's then uh, after the Romans left the tribe she stood up and clutching a spear she said you have learned from experience how different freedom feels from slavery now that you have tried both you must know how grave a mistake it is to accept an imported despotism over your ancestral ways of liberty and it's not very pithy but it is very stirring it is good yeah Yeah. Yeah, it's good sorry i I could see that being you know on a picture of like a black and white field on a google search yeah it'd be hard to get it as a tattoo though you just it'd be like a paragraph on your (laughs) yeah i I, I might get that scapula (laughs) i'd let you guys tattoo me (laughs) okay stop the recording (laughs) i think she didn't have much time to work on the speech uh, between the like the between beatings and yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well so, words matter <laughs> so she was described as tall fierce and with a harsh voice uh, and i think given oh. what she's been through like it's no surprise she was a bit harsh, harsh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's just Boudicca- another way of calling her shrill oh, right exactly great. way that's, to go historians isn't that, you've no, done isn't it isn't that just the norfolk accent in general let's <laughs> oh, no, not do that okay so so Boudicca then raised an army and began an open revolt against the romans tr- to try and push them out of britannia What's a closed revolt? i was just thinking that what is you a never hear revolt? it it's like is that when you sort of like, mutter under your breath or like yeah sort of <laughs> you sub- argue, subterfuge you argue with them in the shower <laughs> <laughs> Next time I see him, yeah, I'm going to yeah. give him a piece of my mind once I get my tattoo removed. It's a very good point. Sorry, it's redundant. She began a revolt. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Words inter- matter. <laughs> <laughs> and interestingly, the tribes at the time in Britannia were very much motivated and kind of inspired by Arminius, who had pushed the Romans out of Germany about 50 years earlier. So like strong cultural mm. connections. And the revolt began to get some real momentum. And they were joined by neighbouring tribes, some openly and some secretly sending people to join and it's really hard to work out exactly 
how big the army got because these things are always exaggerated but there were probably at least a hundred thousand which is a huge force wow, huge force at the time and some there aren't so- that many people in norfolk now <laughs> yes no comment and <laughs> um and some reports make the number sort of about twice that which is probably unlikely but it, anyway the, the point was it was a really big and genuinely um challenging number of people who are standing up against roman rule and so they set off to attack all the major roman cities that they could basically so they they went first to uh camaladunum to which is in modern colchester and then to londinium and then to the city of verulamium in modern st albans and they were absolutely brutal and anyone from those cities who hadn't fled before they Mm. arrived was just killed wow sorry what is modern londinium <laughs> is that is that um is that barrack upon tweed? <laughs> That's <laughs> that is the uh, modern city of Copenhagen. <laughs> oh, they hopped on some ships. Yeah, yeah. popped over flat bottom boats. Yes, Londinium's in yes. Okay, and uh, <laughs> the Romans knew they had to do something about this because obviously it was a huge challenge. So they had to defeat the army at some point. But the main Roman force was, of course, off campaigning in. Mona in yeah. Anglesey oh, trying wow. to defeat the yeah. Druids, mm-hmm. as we've just heard about, and so and where and the main governor was there, and that was where the bulk of the force was, and so that, and that is a huge distance, even with their big straight Roman roads, mm-hmm. uh, to try and get back to that main force back to a place. Yeah, where the M four was an absolute mess. Yeah, though. it's a nightmare yeah. at rush hour, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're just going to get bogged down. <laughs> uh, but they did actually. I think it's the A five was is is now in the UK is the the ancient Roman road of Watling ah. Street, which is goes all the way up to Chester. So that was the one they oh, um, wow. came down. That's pretty cool. Um, and huh. the Romans struggled also to field a force that was larger than about 10,000 uh, um, fully trained soldiers. Against so, 100,000 exactly. Iceni. Exactly. Wow. And it wasn't helped at all by the fact that the Roman ruler in what's modern Devons, is of southwest England, uh, who, a guy called uh, Peonius Postumus, was refu- a guy who wasn't really up for fighting and refused to send his troops to help because he was so pessimistic wow. about the whole situation. Oh, more like Peonius Pessimistius. Exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And um, anyway, eventually the the two armies did meet, and again the exact numbers are hard to come by. But the Romans were almost certainly outnumbered by at least about eight to one. So like yeah. it was pro- properly a difficult situation for them. Uh, but of course, the Romans had exceptional training, as we've just discussed, yeah. and were fighting as a proper single professional unit, while the Brits were basically just a big gang of gaggle, disorganized hooligans <laughs> with spears <laughs> and the occasional chariot <laughs> and so and yeah so, but they had moxie yeah <laughs> they had moxie yeah, yeah, yeah. you who's, know they had who, who's moxie <laughs> it, was a, it was a drug distilled from the peats <laughs> the bogs around norfolk i don't know anything about norfolk actually <laughs> it's a beautiful place <laughs> it is ju- i'm gonna do you i know feel what? like you've never been have you yeah. ever been to norfolk? I'm going to stand up for the people of Norfolk here. Yeah. You've been much maligning them again and again. I know. Like... I'm so sorry. I literally know nothing about your fine land. <laughs> That's gorgeous. Outrageous. So despite Boudicca's best efforts to rally that mass of troops, the Romans, as they tend to do very often, they picked the perfect ground. They fought a tip-top excellent battle and charged the Brits at the right moment. And suddenly panic set in and the Britain's line began to... F- fold and then they began to be routed and the day was against quite considerable odds just an overwhelming roman victory and so uh that army was scattered and poor old Boudicca had to go back to norfolk and killed herself with poison some time later oh, wow. oh jesus but she'd had a jolly good try she did you know she had a go of it yeah, that's what matters um, i think in the end and she's kind of regarded as the first 
British ruler. There's a mythos of her that is like, you know. Yeah, yeah she's, she's a British resistance figure against yeah, yeah, foreign yeah. occupation, which is, of course is like hugely romantic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so how are you reconciling the two halves of yourself now? Because you, ah. you love a British resistance fighter but you also love a roman well i have this concept so i think this is is pre-britain for me okay Um, okay then i have an idea of proto-britain emerging in about like the 800s and everything after that i feel enormous affinity 800s that late yeah. So, really? so in this fight, you are solidly Team Roman. I'm, I'm just in favor of like the most effective and organized force. <laughs> okay. All right, yeah. fair enough. I just wanted to clarify that because you know, listen, listeners will have questions about your loyalty. <laughs> That's true. There you have it. Boudicca's revolt. There we go. Wow, a somewhat coordinated. Yeah. tour of things happening in the year 61. Yeah, definitely. And I know what I'm getting you for your birthday, which is a bus ticket to Norfolk. <laughs> a bus ticket? Yeah. Oh, thanks for That's splashing can... out for the luxury. Well, I mean, that way you can really you want... take in the beautiful scenery of, of the, the, the hills and dales that I think they might have. Yeah, the Norfolk Norfolk Dales. The Norfolk Dales? <laughs> I don't know. They've got a cathedral, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. A beach, I do a couple love, of beaches. I love a cathedral. Probably a I mean, all the way around the outside is beach, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's basically surrounded by beach. It's mostly beach. Well, okay. If you are in Norfolk or just have strong opinions about it, please email us because I clearly need to learn. Do you know who's in, uh, do you know who's in Norfolk? <laughs> Will and Kate? Yeah, they do. They're, Sandringham I did, Sandringham. I did yeah, know yeah. that they there live there. So Will and Kate, please write in. Tell us how beautiful it is there. Once Invite again, us around. Will and Kate, please email us. <laughs> please email us back. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Uh, That's everything you'd ever need to know about the year 61. So all that's left is for Will to please boot up the random number generator. No problem. I am booting it up as we speak. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Casting my spell (laughs) over it. I am being defeated by the superior military might. And the year for next week is... Mm -hmm. Oh, what's this? Oh... Oh, dear. A piece of paper is being printed out. The ticker tape. The The infamous ticker tape. Oh, yes. The ticker tape. It's a really long one. (laughs) It's extremely long. I will. I'll just tear it off. Um, Read it bit by bit. (laughs) Let me me pass it over. Let me pass it over to Ada to read out. (laughs) Okay. This. Okay. We have a message from our newest board member, Patrick. Oh, Patrick. A oh. Gentleman and a scholar. Yeah, it's great. Not to be confused with the other Patrick who yes. we've spoken about <laughs> yes. before. There are there, this there is are a separate, two. second, different Patrick. He's a he's a he's a um, very funny man. A a maker of tarts and a breaker of hearts. And <laughs> that's Oh, by what? the way, if you're not called Patrick, do not sign up to our Patreon. <laughs> No, no, no. Please do sign up. Well, we need them to sign up to our Patreon. Also visit our website, onlypats.com. Patrick has exercised his divine right Uh, as a board member. Okay, that's right. And has hijacked the random number generator. I'm going to change my opinion on Patrick very quickly if it's a bad year. (laughs) Well, it's a strange year. Okay. 937. All right, okay. 937. Uh-huh. AD. AD. Okay, good. Yes, no, he's not torturing us. Okay, good. And helpfully, because this is, I would say, an unusual request, he's given us some context. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to put forward 937 AD. Hopefully, Will will appreciate it. 
Oh. Patrick, we don't appreciate that sort of favoritism here at the Randomly Generated History Club. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> and Patrick says, quite a significant event happened on the Wirral. The birthplace of England, Anglo-Saxons, Vikings, Irish, <gasps> Scots, the Welsh, all with a great view this of Liverpool. This is the dream. Wow. This is the dream. <laughs> Will does like this. <laughs> Will is so, he's gleeful, Patrick. You've, you have elated him. So much glee. <laughs> What's a Wirral and why was things happening on I'll it? tell you next week. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Is it like some sort of a rodent? <laughs> Outrageous. All right, Wirrells, we'll see you next week for 937. Thanks, Patrick. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.